Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our scripture reading is taken from the book of Psalms and it's talking about God and his creation. And when we go to Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, it says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? These are one of the texts that talks about God and his vast creation in a moment of time. As fast as you could snap your fingers or as fast as you could blink your eye, God was able to bring this whole world, this whole creation out of nothing. He's such a powerful and such a great God. And then the psalmist, or David, asks, what is man that you're mindful of him? Why in all your creation is God focused on man and the son of man that you visit him? The fact is, that God created us, mankind, in his own image. And he loves us and he cares for us. And he has mercy for us. He watches over us, he takes care of us, he saves us, he forgives us, he helps us, he meets our needs. And the psalmist is overwhelmed that this great God who is so powerful, so awesome, is able to reach down and actually wants to have interaction with his creatures, man. He is mindful of us and wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to know him. And so we have a great privilege and a great opportunity to serve him each day, but more than that, to commune with him each day, to hear his voice, to sense his presence, and to know his will. Good day. This is Dennis Campbell at Mission Go, filling in for Dr. Brian Albrecht for this edition of the Global Times. This week, we will be hearing about an interesting ministry in Sierra Leone, West Africa. Good morning, Tammy. You were telling us about the selection of the girls for your treehouse program. Well, we, we speak with the church. The leaders in the church let us know about the community uh, needs for some of their children. They'll come to him and he will make sure that they are fed. Also have children that wander in the village and have no caregiver. The entire village tries to work together to protect that child. We are able to bring that child into a family that we can support. 
I understand that Ebola, the killing disease, left many children as orphans. They may stay with someone in the village who has some means of providing for them. So I understand you try to create a mentoring type of establishment between the children? We're teaching the older child responsibility, feeding, helping with school, the child will need assistance getting to the library. The library that you've created is somewhat unique, isn't it? The families don't have places inside, like dressers and tables and things like that. They have mud floors. Most of the places where the children sleep are leaky during the rainy season. What about spiritual training for the children? During the week are Bible stories that are taught to the children, and then on Sundays there is an actual service, which is a normal church service, and the children attend that also. A great many of the girls are professing Christians and have been baptized. Tammy, that's wonderful. Uh, we're happy to hear the continuing work at the Treehouse Program in Sierra Leone. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. I know that you are aware that this is a listener-supported program, and we can't continue to be on the air without the support of those who pray for us each week, and so we appreciate that. This month, we're offering a wonderful booklet entitled No Longer Alone by Joni Erickson Tata. As you are aware that she is a quadriplegic, she had an accident earlier in her life. Throughout her life, she's had issues with loneliness. I had a chance to meet her at the NRB convention and had a wonderful conversation with her. This booklet is a great blessing because it sort of describes uh, loneliness in several different forms, but it also has the answers of how you can overcome loneliness and how you can start looking out and, and get involved in uh, the lives of people around you. It's a very practical book and I highly recommend it. And so we're offering this free of charge if you'll just write in to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. 
let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, oh let it shine. Today I wanted to share a special message from the book of 1 Peter. I hope you enjoy this message very much. Printed copies will be available upon request. So today I wanted to look basically at one verse. And if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 2, but we have to do the context, which is verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So here he's identifying himself as one of the twelve he went to an area that Paul was not able to go. If you remember, in the second missionary journey, Paul was going to try to go up into the northern part. The Lord prevented him from doing that, if you remember that. And he had the Macedonian call, and instead of going north, he went to the west and went over to Philippi and, and down through Greece. According to this text in verse 1, that uh, Peter is the one that went and evangelized this area. And so it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Well, those areas are all in Turkey, the exact area that Paul was not able to go to, but Peter had gone there and he had seen much fruit for his labor. Now, when you talk about the pilgrims, he's talking about to the pilgrims of the dispersion, or the dysporia, you're talking about people that are displaced. They're not in their home area. Sometimes it's by persecution. Sometimes it's by their own uh, desire to try to thrive as a family. Uh, I think what Peter is using the term pilgrims here, though, he's talking about people who are in a different area, and they realize that they're not, not in heaven, they're on earth, and they're looking for heaven. They're pilgrims here on earth. It's sort of like their citizenship is in heaven, but they're actually on earth. And of course, you could actually apply us to that. Uh, we're all pilgrims here because we're really looking forward to uh, that city on a hill. And so it's to the pilgrims of the dispersion in these places. Uh, this area was uh, ruled by Rome at this point, and uh, Peter was there uh, ministering, and there were some people who had received Christ your Savior. We know that from verse 2, where it says, Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So these people had received Christ their Savior. They were the chosen ones. They are the elect. And what Peter does here, he gets us into a deep theological debate where you're starting to use terms that have to be defined. And in seminary, you debate these terms, these things. I'm going to try to explain it. The elect is one issue. According to the foreknowledge, foreknowledge of God, that's another theological term, of God the Father, and then in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we start looking at these terms, particularly foreknowledge, you start looking back to the very, very beginning, and you start looking at a thing in theology which is called the decrees of God. The decrees of God, which means God's plan. God made a plan. Now, God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. And so what he has done, he has chosen the best plan. And that becomes, in theological terms, we call that a decree. In other words, his plan, it's his will. 
for all the ages, basically. This was all chosen before the foundation of the earth. So you have to make a differentiation between omniscience and these decrees, because omniscience means that God knows everything. But here we're looking at um, the decrees of God, and the first decree, of course, was that he is going to create the universe, not just the world, the universe, not just the earth, the universe. Now, if you think about it, the decree is he's going to create the universe, but he's creating it out of nothing. Now, can you imagine, if you're an engineer, can you imagine all the details that have to take place to create something out of nothing? So the first one was, the decree was to create the universe. The second decree was the fall of man. The fall of man was not a surprise. It was not an error. It was something that God, it's something he permitted. It's something that he allowed, and he did it for a purpose. But what he's trying to do is to create free moral agents. These are people that have free choice. These are people that can make up their own mind. They are created in the image of God, and they have the ability to believe God or not believe God. They have the ability to look at creation and believe there is a divine force, or they also have the opportunity to say no to that. They can disobey, go their own way. And so that brings a dilemma. What do you do with the believers and what do you do with uh, those who disobey, the unbelievers? Well, the believers back in, in this plan are called the elect. They're the ones that are the chosen ones to salvation. Now, now we're not talking about individuals as, as you look down through history. The definition of foreknowledge for most people will say this, that God in his sovereignty he looked down through history and he knew those that would choose him as savior and he made them the elect. That is not, not according to the decree. What we have here is a plan. And the plan is that there will be people that will say yes to Jesus, will say yes to God. They will have salvation. God is going to give them salvation and they will be the elect. That's the plan. It's not that these people made a choice and it's not that God chose. It's the idea that he set up the mechanism that there will be some who will obey and some who will disobey. So that's part of the second decree, which is a fall man, which is the idea that we are free agents. We, we can do what we want to do. We can choose or not choose God. The third decree is that he is going to send a savior because for those who disagree, disobey, and even those who do choose, they're going to have an issue in a fallen state with sin because they're going to have an old sin nature. So therefore, there has to be some way, some mechanism whereby God and his holiness and his righteousness and his perfections and then his justice has a way for these to have some way to get to God because God is a holy God and these people will be fallen, these people will be sinful, they will be unclean, and the Savior has to be able to to satisfy the justice of God and also uh, make people righteous. So there has to be a savior. To do that, to save the world, he have to save those who would come to him. Those people will be called the elect. And of course, the savior will be the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who do come to Christ, we call them the elect. And so he has to make a provision for the elect. Now, one of the problems you have is you'll say, there's a lot of criticism that says, well, why didn't God choose everybody. Why didn't God choose everybody that he creates? 
And the answer to that is, first of all, the Bible doesn't say that he chose everybody. He didn't choose everybody. And the problem is he, he couldn't choose everybody if, if you're going to give people free will, could he? If he is forcing people to, to choose him, it's sort of like the angels. The angels were created, and of course they had to obey. And of course the ones that followed Satan disobeyed. They made one sin, and they're now under the condemnation of God. So if you're going to create free agents that have free will, there has to be provision. And so God made a provision, it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and he that comes to me I will not cast out. That's John 6, 37. Whoever will. The idea of whosoever. We have these whosoevers. So whosoever will be, are the elect, and whosoever won't are not the elect. And they have that choice. It's their choice, not God's choice. He allows them to make that choice. The whosoever wills, they have to make a choice. They actually have to respond. They have to, they have a responsibility to choose the gospel, to choose Christ. Now here's the issue. You and I have had very little uh, say in our own creation. Uh, we didn't choose to be created. We didn't choose to be here at this time. We didn't choose to have this height, uh, the way we look. We didn't choose our personality. We didn't choose our parents. We didn't choose this time frame. We didn't choose this. God chose this. God put us here at this time frame, and we have free will. So if we have that clear in our minds, when we go and read this text now, it might make some sense to us. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. First of all, we have foreknowledge of God. That was, that was the plan. That was the decree. And we are elect because these people chose. These people made a decision, and they received Christ as their personal Savior. So they are elected. They're now called the chosen ones, and they are called the elect of God. And those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, those of us become the elect. We are the chosen ones because we chose him. We had free will. We were not predestined to choose God. We chose him because we're a free agent and out of our own free will, we heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit drew us and we said yes. Now God is involved in that, God gave us the faith to do that, God wooed us, he asked us to come, but we said yes, it was our decision. And that's, that made us the elect. So here we have elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and what I like about this one verse, we have the Trinity. Well, here we have elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, in obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the Trinity, right? We always try to say that God the Father is the planner and Jesus Christ is the executor. He's the one that carried out the plan and the Holy Spirit reveals the plan. The same, they all have the same holiness and, and the same viewpoint and, and the same essence, we'd like to say. So we have this foreknowledge of the God the Father. Then we in sanctification of the Spirit. Now it's interesting, the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience, because I think the comma is in the wrong place here. The sanctification of the Holy Spirit is for obedience, that we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Now it's interesting, if you, there's a, there are some verses in the New Testament that talk about the sanctification of, of Jesus, of Christ. But when you talk about that, you're talking about Jesus making us righteous, making us holy. It's a positional place. That's the sanctification of Jesus. But when you talk about the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, you're talking about the process. 
the Holy Spirit is working in your life to, be, to help you become more and more like Jesus. So you become more and more righteous, more and more holy, and you become more and more mature in your faith, and you're able to do more and more for the Lord. So that's the sanctification of the Spirit. And of course, he's trying to help us to become more and more obedient. That's his purpose. That's what the Holy Spirit does after he draws us and after we become believers in Christ. But then we have this phrase, in the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, it's really interesting to me that Peter uses this term, the sprinkling of the blood. There's a lot of things he could have talked about Jesus and the process of salvation. He could have talked about him uh, being beaten up. He could have talked about him being uh, nailed to the cross, about his death. But he talks about the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And as you think about that phrase, you can go back to the Old Testament, you can see the animals that came, and you have these innocent animals that are one-year-old, and usually uh, the perfect animal that you had to sacrifice would have been one of the prize animals in your whole herd, if you were a, a shepherd, uh, perfect animals. And these animals you're giving to God as a sacrifice to cover your sins. You're actually going to slit his throat, he's going to bleed out, and of course we know the life of everything is in the blood. So the point here is, is the life of Jesus was shed for you. His blood was shed because we know without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So you have to have a blood sacrifice. Now, blood sacrifices are awful. They're awful to, to watch. And if you go back and look at, at uh, Passover, when you go to the Passover feast, you would see that they would select this perfect animal, this perfect lamb. A little lamb was in your house, and then on the... the the eve of, of Passover, on the Friday night after sundown, bleed it out, and then they'd eat it, and that's a Passover meal. And right near where I grew up, a block away, there was a slaughterhouse. And so they see these animals, they'd be in the pen. Of course, the farmers would bring their animals, and the animals, I know um, my one neighbor, neighbor friend that we had that we played together all the time, one of the, the steers was her was given to her. So it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to contemplate the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. It's a horrible thing to think of Jesus Christ loving us so much that he would become a babe in a manger and give up his rights at the end. Getting beat up according to Isaiah 52, beaten so bad he didn't even look human. And then they drag him and put him on a cross, and he hangs up there, and the first thing he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're all alone. It's finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he dies. But without his shedding of blood, without him dying and shedding of blood, his blood, which I believe was offered in heaven at the heavenly temple, he shed his blood and that blood is what redeemed us from our sins. And when you contemplate that, it's almost overwhelming when you really think about it. What happened there? What God did for you? Because the deep love he has for you, for his children. And even though we have difficult things that happen here on earth to us, trials and tribulations and bad health and other things. God still loves us and he cares for us. That blood 
is what allows us to have forgiveness of sins. That blood allows us to come into God's presence. And so when you look at that one verse in 1 Peter, there's tremendous depth there. We're chosen ones, and our destiny is his presence forever and ever and ever. That's eternal life in his presence. We will be resurrected. All of us will be resurrected in an eternal body that will be like Jesus. And we will serve him forever and ever and ever and be with him forever and ever and ever. The promises that have been given to us are so overwhelming they're hard to understand. But we have to remember we're not there. We're not in heaven yet. We're here. And this place is not heaven. There's sin. There's perversion. And we see foolish things being done. We've seen people being hurt. We see people that are prideful. We see people who are greedy. Uh, we see this worldwide. And now we see God, I believe, working in so many different places. We are put here for this time. We are here by God's design to be alive at this moment in history. And God has a purpose for this world, but he also has a purpose for each and every one of us. And so I believe we ought to be thankful for what God has done for us. And I think we ought to be thankful for the opportunity that we have to minister to this generation and to be lights in such a great darkness. I hope this message still helps us to be encouraged. And so let's be thankful for those kinds of things. I trust the Lord used this message to encourage you and bless you in a mighty way. Here at Canada's National Bible, I were very concerned about people who hear our broadcasts each week and have an opportunity to hear God's Word. And we know the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we trust that those who have heard the Word today will apply it to their lives, but also those who maybe have never had a personal relationship or received Jesus Christ personally into their lives have an opportunity to receive Christ. 
And the gospel is very simple. It's the fact that God became man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He bore our sins in his own body as he hung on the tree. He died and he rose on the third day. And the Bible says, but as many as receive him, unto them gave he the right to become the children of God. When you ask Jesus Christ sincerely to come into your life, he will redeem you and you will become one of his children. You can do that by just praying a simple prayer, asking him to become your savior, and then repenting of your sin, confessing your sin. And when you do that, God changes your life. But as many as receive him, unto them gave he the right to become the children of God. Don't forget to order your copy of Future Shock by Dr. Ed Henson. You can do that by writing Canada's National Bible Hour at Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also get us on the web at www.missiongo.org, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O.org, and we ask that you continue to remember us in prayer before the throne of grace. May the Lord bless you throughout this next week.